Maybe it's a classic, or maybe a flop. Has Katie seen it? She probably has not. She'll sit down and watch it if it's good or it's bad. Hey, have you seen this? No, Katie hasn't seen that. Hi, I'm Katie, and if I had a nickel for every time someone said to me, Wait, you haven't seen this movie? Oh my god, you need to see this movie. I'd be very rich. So this is my podcast, where I finally watch those movies you all have told me I need to see, and I tell you what I think. Welcome to another episode of Katie Hasn't Seen That. Remember, there are spoilers dead ahead, so be warned. I'm going to talk about a movie, and I'm going to spoil some stuff. And today, I am watching my first ever Studio Ghibli movie. Some people say Studio Ghibli. So let me know. Tell me, is it Studio Ghibli or Studio Ghibli? I actually don't know the appropriate pronunciation because I've heard it both ways. So this is going to be the first time I've ever seen any of these movies. I know that they are so popular. I can't spend one day on Twitter and not see a GIF from a Studio Ghibli movie. The food is always celebrated. There's always some sort of art style that is so deeply ingrained in our culture that I I feel like I've seen so much about Studio Ghibli, yet I've never watched one of the movies. So I had a bit of a hard time figuring out, oh, dang, which one should I watch? Because there are so many Studio Ghibli movies. And also, I didn't know this until I started looking at which movie I should watch for the podcast, that some of these movies go back into the 80s. Like My Neighbor Totoro and Kiki's Delivery Service, the late 80s. My mind was kind of blown by that. So while I was trying to pick out which movie to watch, I was talking to my friend Acorn Bandit, who you may know from another podcast on the Geek Generation Network uh, called Avatar the Podcast. Go listen to her and Greg talk about Avatar the Last Airbender. But I asked Acorn, like, what do you think I should watch for my Studio Ghibli movie? And then she said, you should ask Mergles a.k.a. Miranda. She is on the Dark Podcast, also on the Geek Generation Network. And Murgles is also a professional animator. And I was like, oh, my God, you're right. So I asked Murgles and we chatted a little bit and we landed on that. I should start with Spirited Away. And I'm really excited. I'm trying to keep my expectations where they should be. I've loved like Disney cartoons and those kind of movies growing up. I mean, The Lion King will forever and always be my favorite Disney movie. These kind of seem like a facet of that animation world where they're so beloved and they have such a warm, positive feeling for so many people. I'm not sure what to expect because I don't know what these movies are about. I've never looked into like the synopsis or what they're about. I just know that they like visually look beautiful and apparently they're from Japan. So I'm going to be watching Spirited Away today. And thank you, Miranda, for helping me pick out one of these movies. I got so overwhelmed by the amount of them. I was like, I need some help starting off my Studio Ghibli journey on the right foot. And go listen to Murgles on the Dark podcast. They're talking about the show Dark from Netflix. And it's a companion podcast to that show. So go go give them a listen. Okay. Pumpkinberry is also on it. And Acorn's on that podcast, too. There are tons of iconic characters from the Studio Ghibli world. I mean, I I see Totoro and I see like, what's the guy with the face? He does no face. His name's No Face, right? I don't know who No Face is or what movie No Face is from, but I know those are like characters from the Studio Ghibli realm. And I just pulled up what I normally do on Google for the movie I'm going to watch to get the rating and the like basic information for it. And it looks like No Face is in this one. 
So I finally will know who No Face is. Loki kind of excited about that. I feel like sometimes I see these things on Twitter or people kind of gathering around these fandoms together. And I'm just over here like, I don't I don't get it because I've never seen it. And sometimes I feel like I miss facets of connecting with others because I've never experienced this thing that so many others have. I mean, just scrolling on social media, the amount of people who bond over what the food looks like in any of these movies is enough for me to really want to explore it more. This movie is listed as a fantasy adventure. It is two hours and five minutes. It's rated PG and it's from the year 2001. A Studio Ghibli movie has been on my list to watch for Katie hasn't seen that since I started this podcast. We just recently had a friend graciously give us a code to get HBO Max for a little bit. And all of these movies are on HBO Max. So I was scrolling through them and I'm like, this is a sign. It's time to watch one of these movies. I also just thought about how I'm saying Studio Ghibli over and over. And if it is, in fact, pronounced Studio Ghibli, there are so many people who love this movie who are just seething at like, it's Ghibli. It's Ghibli, Katie. So I I hope I'm saying it right. Okay, what do I think Spirited Away is about? There is a character, a child in it. No faces in it. And it's magical. I have zero idea of what any of these movies are about. I have seen so much of this integrated into our world, yet I don't know anything about the story. And I guess I just, it's kind of nice sometimes going in blind to stuff. I feel like a lot of times they have movie trailers at movie theaters, obviously, or on TV, or even for shows. On Netflix is notorious for overshowing like what happens in a show. You're like, oh, I guess I just saw the first act. So I love kind of going into things blind. Because a lot of times I feel like trailers just spoon feed stuff to you. So I'm truly going in without any idea of what this will be. But I'm hoping it'll be a magical ride. And I'm excited to finally learn the origin story of No Face and see what that character is and what that character means to people. So let's talk ratings. This movie has an 8.6 out of 10 on Internet Movie Database, 97% on Rotten Tomatoes, 96% on Metacritic, and 96% of Google users like this movie. Holy s***. All right. I see you spirited away. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to order cheesecake, and I'm going to sit down and watch Spirited Away tonight. This is also the first time my husband has seen a Studio Ghibli movie. So we're both going to sit down. We're both going to watch this, and then I'll let you all know what I think. I'm excited. I'm excited. I have a hopeful twinkle in my eye. So I'm going to go get me some cheesecake and I'm going to go watch Spirited Away. And I'm back. I just watched Spirited Away. I can't say it. Spirited Away. And uh, I'm here to talk about it now. And boy, I got some thoughts about this movie and I actually don't have a rating for this yet. So as I'm discussing it with you today, I'm going to be coming up with my rating for this movie. We just start this movie right out the gate. There is a family traveling in a car to a new city. They're moving the little girl in the back whose name is Chihiro. Sorry, I had to look that up because I don't want to mispronounce anything. Chihiro. And so Chihiro's 10 years old. Their mom and dad are moving to a new city, and then I think they take the wrong turn somewhere and end up going down this crazy side road. And of course, they're a little lost, but 
they're like, oh, that's our new house up on that hill. So then the dad like guns it and just drives at an alarming rate down this bumpy dirt road. And also, why was the little girl not wearing a seatbelt? I I feel like I was more concerned for her safety jumping into this. Like, why did the parents not make her wear a seatbelt? She was just laying on the back of the seat and then her dad is driving so recklessly. And they get to the end of this dirt road. They luckily survive. There's like this giant rock in the middle of the road that has some faces on it. And they stop and there's like this tunnel to what starts spirited away is this path. This is like an archway and it's like a dark tunnel. And the dad's like, I'm going to go down it. Let's go see where this leads. The mom's not into it. Chihiro gets out. And it's interesting throughout this intro that Chihiro like kind of seems more like the adult saying like, why are we doing this? Let's go back. And they go through this tunnel and they find a abandoned amusement park, essentially, which doesn't look all that abandoned. It just looks like it's like kind of like a ghost town in a way. I guess that is abandoned if you really break down the meaning of what abandoned is. But they get there and the dad's like, I think I smell something. Let's go look for food in an abandoned theme park. So they, they scoot off. The dad's like hunting this food down. And they find one stall that has unattended food and the mom and dad start eating it. And Chihiro's like, no, no, what are you doing? Don't eat that stuff. And uh, then wanders off. And the parents just kind of, uh, I don't know, ignore her a lot. And I I felt a lot for this character because I was like, nobody listens to her. And uh, I'll have some thoughts on that at the end of the episode. But one of the things I want to talk about is Studio Ghibli movies have this huge focus on what their food looks like, or at least the fandom seems to think, oh, my God, the food in Studio Ghibli looks so good. I am so sorry to say this. It looked really gross. Some of it looked real wet and floppy, and some of it just like just did not look appetizing. So maybe this movie specifically was not my movie for the Studio Ghibli food. It it just didn't look very good to me. If you think the food in these movies looks good, why? It just like it does have that like animation, like kind of shiny, shimmery, almost plethora of food. But I just like I don't know. There's a there's a moment when the dad's like eating a giant floppy onion looking thing. And I just was like, you know, this is kind of gross. And then throughout the movie, there's like other food. And I just I just I wasn't into it. I don't know. I don't know if this is a thing that I think is a thing in these movies or if it's actually a thing. But let's just talk about how it starts to turn nighttime and this boy comes out of nowhere and it's just like, you have to go before the lights turn off. And so they start running and she tries to get to her dad and mom who are now pig people. Okay, they're pig people. And uh, it's because they've just been stuffing their faces. And legitimately, this movie just kind of goes off the rocker right out the gate. It's so much whimsy and so much like fantastical stuff that you kind of have to turn off the logic switch in your head. Because for me, I feel like there was never really a clear plot that they followed in this. There is a plot, but it's just loosely strung together, in my opinion, I guess. So, you know, mom and dad are pigs now. And then this boy, Haku, tries to save her and protect her from being engulfed by the spirit world where there's a giant bathhouse that the spirits go to. And essentially, it just follows the story of Chihiro being a human, which is, I guess, very frowned upon in the spirit world, like she's mortal. And it's about her finding a job and becoming useful so that I believe she doesn't get like punished in this world or ostracized, even though I feel like that kind of happened even with her job in this. 
And uh, Haku kind of seems like he takes on this responsibility of protecting her. Um, there's a character also by the name of Lin. And so Lin, right out, okay, can I just say, when Lin is introduced, Jiro kind of goes down into this basement where there's these little soot balls that do like work. The soot balls like throw coal into the fire to keep the water warm for the bathhouse. And the little soot balls are my spirit animals, okay? They work hard, they're adorable. And I love them and I would die for them. But in that room, um, when Jihiro's trying to get a job, Lin comes in and then reluctantly agrees to help bring her up to Yababa to talk about getting a job. Lin is verbally abusive to Chihiro, okay? They keep calling her like a, like a human, but it looks like a lot of them are human, including Lin. I may have missed something in that, but Lin seemed like she was also a human. But when they meet each other in this like underground coal fire heating area, Lin calls Chihiro a dope and an idiot. And I just I don't know. I noticed throughout this movie, there's just a lot of very harsh language, like in in terms of like a children's movie. It just it felt like kind of an intense way to be like, quit. Wow, you're being a dope. Wow, you're such an idiot. They say thank you to this man. It just just seemed very abusive for for no reason, essentially. There's also a part in this movie where they run past some busty ladies and uh, they run past so fast that like their dresses get blown up in the wind and uh, their shirts are a little bit unbuttoned. And I was like, huh, that was a little bit a little bit sexy for a kid's movie. I'm like, who was that for the adults? Was that like, you know how like Pixar puts in like adult jokes, even Disney movies? I'm like, was that what's that for? But usually it's like jokes and not like sexy ladies. Or am I just misremembering my own childhood? I just, I'm just going to say I saw that. I saw that. That's, that's all I'm going to say about that. The best way to describe this movie to me is bizarre. There's a lot happening. Visually, it's very interesting to watch. I can really appreciate from the animation point of view how beautiful the water animation was, the different characters. You could see that they paid so close attention to detail as they animated this movie and created this magical world that she was, quote unquote, spirited away into. But can we talk about the radish spirit? Okay, I'm just going to say it. Did it seem like there's a lot of phallic symbolism in this? Like, there's just a lot of things that look a little bit like penises and a lot of things that kind of look like boobs. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's my adult brain like being analytical of these things. The radish spirit's face just looked like a bunch of saggy boobs. But I mean, that could just be me. That could that that could just be me. But regardless of that, I did enjoy the radish spirit. He seemed like a cool dude. I wonder if this movie, if I had watched it as a kid, would have scared me. This movie seems almost like a horror movie. It's got Pan's Labyrinth vibes. Is that too many plurals in that? It has Pan's Labyrinth vibes, which I love that movie. So it kind of split the world between reality and fantastical fairy tale-esque things. And that's kind of how I feel this movie approached the story. But I do wonder if this would have scared me as a kid because Yababa is kind of horrifying. And I, I know it was an animation choice. But is that like a wart between her eyes? Because like Loki, it kind of bugged me a bit. I also want to know why did they I, I know that she had a twin sister. But how come they made the choice to not draw them differently so that there was some sort of distinction between the two? I know I know what twins are. Twins look alike. But why were their clothes the same? Like, I kind of wish in some ways uh, because of that twin sister dynamic with Yababa that they had given Granny something that made her unique 
So that um, that's just more of like a nitpicky thing. It doesn't really affect the story, but I just felt like that was an interesting choice that they made. Also, the baby. What the f***? Okay. Couple things about Yababa. Those little heads jumping around. Mark and I, my husband and I were sitting down deducing. That had to be like the heads had to be like little dogs, right? Like that was the equivalent of what like little dogs in your house would be. Um, so those were like her pets, we're thinking. The baby, the whole baby thing was just a roller coaster. This baby was so creepy when she got like entangled in his web and he's like a hypochondriac baby. Like, don't give me germs. And then when he's like, I will scream and cry and then grabbed her arm was like, I'm going to break your arm if you go. It was just I mean, it's kind of like how a baby would be, but it was a violent baby. So when the baby became the little mouse and that little bird fly loved them, they were great. They were adorable to no end. But big baby, um, big baby intimidated me a bit. Big, big baby made me nervous. Uh, I guess I can say that. Important thing to note, Haku was played by Jason Marsden, a voice actor who also played Max from a Goofy movie and one of my favorite TV shows of all time. He played Tino in The Weekenders. So I've always weirdly had a crush on this voice actor because he's just so good. And I really enjoyed his interpretation of Haku. I thought that he did a fabulous job. And also when you first realize you're like, that's Max from a Goofy movie, you can't unhear it. And then you just kind of have an affinity towards Haku. Haku was an interesting character regardless. Um, He's kind of like a protector of Chihiro. And I enjoyed their relationship throughout this. Just kind of like the big brother, little sister dynamic. And at the end, when Chihiro kind of goes, you're the, the river spirit. And they have that realization. I think that's when the movie kind of clicked for me. And I was like, OK, I think I know what they're trying to get at here. But I'm very curious what all of your interpretations of this movie is. But I'll let you know at the end what my interpretation of what they were trying to portray in this. It is very interesting, though, that when Chihiro gets a job from Yababa, that she signs a contract. I will say some of my favorite animation was the scene when she signs the contract, because when Yababa takes her name off of the paper and it kind of floats up into her hand, I was like, damn, that's kind of cool. Though I was a little upset because I was like, this child does not know what's going on. And she's just signing her name away on a contract. Oh, my God. One of my critiques about the voice actress who played Chihiro, and I I mean, maybe this is just par for the course. She screamed a lot. I think she was a child maybe when they recorded the lines for this. So she had that like genuine, oh, this is a child voice actress kind of feel to it. But she just screamed so much. And I I don't personally like that choice in movies when when people just yell to yell. Like um, there's the whole part where she's just screaming about giving her a job. And I know you're scared and afraid, but it didn't like portray to me a tonal like alarm. It just kind of sounded like a kid screaming. That's one of the things that sucks is like going into some of these things that are kind of beloved and held to such high esteem. And then I come rolling up and I'm like, hey, here's all the things I found wrong with it. And I promise I'm not trying to do this. I've just noticed that like I watch these movies with a very critical eye and You know, there's reasons I probably haven't seen some of these movies before. It's like maybe I know in the back of my head, like, I don't know if I'm going to like that. But then when I sit down and I watch it, there's some things that are just very like in your face that I don't feel like I can fully ignore. 
So I, I don't know. I don't mean to go into like beloved movies and be like, oh, I'm going to tear them down. I just try to like go into them with how my brain works. And that's what Katie hasn't seen that comes out with. This whole time I'm watching this, I'm trying to figure out like, what's this movie trying to tell? Can we talk about the stinky monster, stinky spirit who came in? Can we talk about that? How it's essentially a shit monster. A shit monster comes in to this bathhouse and then they send poor little Chihiro at this point called Sen because her name has been taken away. They called her Sen pretty much for the rest of the movie to take care of this shit monster. Like some of the stuff in this movie genuinely made me laugh and I did enjoy some of the things that they did like the whole I'm just going to call it shit monster. It was a shit monster. It smelled bad. He was pretty much trash. It just seemed like he was a pile of shit and I'm not trying to sugarcoat it. And, you know, he was a pile of trash. He also reminded me of the goo from Fern Gully or like the oil, the Tim Curry. What was his name? I don't remember. But from Fern Gully. If you remember the oil from the big machine that was evil, same energy, same energy as the shit monster. So the shit monster comes in and then Sen like saves the day by actually cleaning him and then pulling out all of the trash in the world that's inside of him and all the gold pieces, as you do when you clean shit monsters. I just wanted to point out that it's like this whole triumphant scene and sequence where she's like overcoming this foe. But when you break it down, you're like, she's There's like this trumpet music and it's just like, oh, and it's a shit monster. Like, it's just kind of funny. But also, I did enjoy that sequence. And I'm glad she got to clean the shit monster and that everything worked out for the most part. Yeah, I just mostly wanted to point out I can't be the only person that thought that was a shit monster, right? Right? I've been waiting to talk about this for most of the episode. No face. Can we talk about no face, please? I was kind of like super stoked about No Face. I was like, I think No Face gets me. I think No Face knows what's up. No Face throughout this whole story was like, oh, is he kind of creepy? And I was like, oh, no, he just likes Sen. He just, you know, wants to be her friend. He is a creep. He is a full on creep. Okay. No Face goes up to a little girl constantly, sticks out his hand and goes, uh, uh. I would like to see your other hand, please. I cannot. I mean, I'm sorry if I'm ruining a childhood memory for some of you. It sounds... No face is a predator. (laughs) No face seems like a full-on predator to me, okay? He's obsessed with this little girl. It sounds like he's quietly masturbating on a subway bus, trying to not be noticed. I cannot be the only one who feels this way. Why does he grunt the way that he grunts? Why is he like that? And I was really, really hoping for a better resolution on that character because I'm like, he seems like he's a lost spirit. And I'm coming up with all of this backstory. And I was really excited about this character because at first the way he's introduced, I'm like, ooh, this is interesting. And then he just becomes a glutton and he's eating people and he's creating fake gold And he's like a trickster. And so from going from like a lost spirit dynamic, he just kind of turned into a creep. And I don't to this moment know why he was so obsessed with Sen. Why was he so invested? And like part of me goes, there's somebody out there who's like, she didn't get the lore. She missed this thing. This is what it is. But the unceremonious of him getting on the train, going with Sen to Granny's, 
And then Granny going like, you stay with me, no face. With no, no kind of clear, like even a line of hay. No face, you've wandered for long enough alone. You have a home now. If they had a line like that, I would have been like, I get it. Still a little weird that he's going, uh, uh, to the poor little girl all the time. But at least I'd be like, okay, he was like a lost spirit. I mean, I don't need things spelt out for me. I love philosophical discussions. I just kind of went, maybe if I knew more about the culture, Japanese culture and things, maybe this would have all maybe lined up a bit better for me. But going in from my very American point of view, I was like, I don't know if I fully understand no face. But I also felt like no face was a bit of a creep. Disagree? Agree? Anyone? I thought the music in this movie, moving on from No Face, I thought the music in this movie was actually pretty beautiful. I've been playing through Spiritfarer, um, which is a video game on the Switch. It's uh, a game about dealing with the loss of loved ones and grief and afterlife. And the music in that game was very reminiscent of what this movie had. I thought the music was beautiful. I loved that aspect of it. And I fully enjoyed the soundtrack to this movie. I tend to really try to pay attention to allegories and symbolism and maybe what they're trying to convey in movies and the philosophical undertones. And I I felt personally like I could not find a clear story. It felt very disjointed, like it could have been a TV show, like each part of the story that happened could have been a separate episode. I really did appreciate the animation in this. I loved seeing No Face getting swept away in the waves from the train because that's a gif on Twitter that says all the feels and then it has the waves being the feels washing over No Face. So I was like, hey, I appreciate that meme. And it actually made me giggle, even though I was like, that's kind of sad. He just gets like knocked off the tracks and he's just kind of like floating away. But then he gets back on the tracks like nothing happened. So it all worked out for me. I like the idea of this movie more than I like the movie itself. I don't know. I just didn't connect with it. I don't feel like it resonated with me. I really did appreciate and could see the hard work that had gone into this. And when I tried to dig deep and see the moments that glimmered through that might have held more meaning than what I felt was on surface level, I think this movie is about growing up. And while I see it is about growing up, I also feel like it's about growing up too fast. There was a lot of things in this movie with like the way that they would speak to Sen and kind of the verbal abuse she would be under and being put in very difficult situations. And I'm proud of her. She was on top of it. She was strong. She didn't let anybody waver her and she became a leader in her own life as well as in taking care of others. But I feel like this movie also kind of forced on her growing up too fast. And from my perspective and in my life, I feel like in a lot of ways we all grow up a little bit too fast. I know that I did growing up. And so it bummed me out for her, for Chihiro, to have gone through this because I feel like it took away a lot of her childhood. I also feel like it's a story about accepting change and standing on your own and being confident in yourself and just doing what needs to get done. And at the end, it all kind of worked out. Her parents were no longer pigs. They went back through the tunnel and got back to the car and the car was full of dust and dirt and there was tree limbs on the car and it showed that there had been a lot of passage of time, even though the parents didn't remember anything that happened. 
but Chihiro did. So I was left wanting more in the sense of what happened in the real world while they were away in this abandoned amusement park. Like what what happened and how much time had passed? Because it, it ends with the parents going, oh, Chihiro, we got to get going. Are you ready for starting a new school? And she's like, I can take on anything, which I get. I just feel like I wanted better for Chihiro. And I, I wanted to connect more with the movie than I did. So in general, I'm not disappointed or mad that y'all made me watch this. I just don't know fully how I feel about it. And like I said, I didn't have a rating yet for this, but here it is. I'm going to give this movie, oh boy, oh boy, four out of 10 soot balls that I want to be my best friends. Okay, hear me out. I really, really wanted to like this movie, but I'm not going to lie to you all and tell you that I love something that I don't. I can appreciate the art and the beauty of this movie, even though I disagree that the food looks good. So in a lot of ways, it reminded me of, like I said, Pan's Labyrinth, which is one of my all time favorite movies. It's a Spanish movie by Guillermo del Toro. And I, I think he's a visionary director. I love what he does. And this movie had some like horror-esque vibes to it. I liked that about it. It felt very like spooky. And there are, there are moments where you're like, this is making me uncomfortable. I wonder if a little kid could handle this, but I, I could handle Nightmare Before Christmas when I was a kid. So I honestly think kids are more resilient than we give them credit for. I just didn't feel that affinity towards this movie like I think I thought I was going to. The whole time I was like, is she dead? Is this the afterlife? I didn't know what they were going to. I think it's a journey about Jihiro's self-discovery and her strength and growing up and accepting change in her life. And I can freaking appreciate the hell out of that. More power to you, Jihiro. I just don't think the story was fully for me. But you know what? I've seen it. I've seen a Studio Ghibli movie now. And if you have a favorite Studio Ghibli movie, tell me which one is your favorite. Come talk to me on Twitch at Katie Peters Plays. I stream video games over there. I got a chat where you can talk to me while I'm doing that. Also, tweet at me at or on Twitter at uh, Play Katie Play. Tell me what your favorite Studio Ghibli movie is. Tell me if I'm saying Studio Ghibli wrong. That's fun for me, too. But yes, let me know what movie I should watch next time as well. And thank you all for going on this journey with me. Thank you for letting me share my opinions. Unfiltered, unadultered, just me being able to express how I feel about something and y'all going on that ride with me. I will catch you all in the next episode and be sure to take good care of yourself in the meantime. If you want to hang out with me more or if you just want to yell at me for my thoughts on a specific movie, I stream over on Twitch at www.twitch.tv slash katiepetersplays. Also, feel free to follow and chat with me on Twitter at playkatieplay and on Instagram at Katie Peters Plays. Music written and performed by Mark Can Do It. Katie Hasn't Seen That is a part of the Geek Generation Network. Until next time, keep your popcorn warm for me. 